Welcome back to the California Work Comp Report. We are here for part two of our series on the Gates of Hell, in which historian of Italian art Paul Costa tells me, Corey Olson, and you, the listener, about Dante Alighieri and the condition of the 14th century Florence, which drove him to write his most famous poem, The Inferno. Dante was born from a family that was extremely Guelph. They, mm-hmm. they loved the Pope. They loved everything about him. Um, they, they went to church. They were extremely Catholic at this time. So let, just, let me just get two more things, and we'll get back to, to Dante, because Dante has a lot to say about the Holy Roman Emperor and the Pope. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 1240s. So there's a big fight, 1250s. There's a big fight between the Guelphs and the Ghibellines in Florence. And when, you, when the city was won over by the Guelphs, every single Ghibelline was exiled physically out of Florence. Yeah. So it's like saying if, if our current president is a Democrat, all the Republicans have to leave America. And when the next president is a Republican, then all the Democrats, vice versa. So (laughs) it's crazy. Like there were, there was a lot of movement as well, because when you get kicked out of your city, well, where the hell do you go? You know, you got to sell your house. You got to buy another house, but I don't want to go to Luca. I don't want to go to Pisa. I don't want to go to Siena. I hate those towns. You know, it's like saying, I'm from New York originally. I, I, the last place I would live is in Boston with the Red Sox fans. You yeah, know, so yeah, 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 sure, sure. I'm a Yankee fan. So you don't want to go where you don't feel at home. And and if you're not part of that Ghibelline party that's winning right now, well, you're exiled. And then if they have wars, the Florentines were having wars among themselves to gain control again as Guelphs. Yes. So this goes back and forth quite a bit. Um, also, I mean, property is a, you know, the I've, I've, luxury. it's a, it's a luxury. And when somebody says, you know, you can't have your property anymore, you know, people will be violent and it's not, you know, when, when people get yeah exiled out of these places, I just to add to what you're saying, Paul, like when people get exiled out of these places, it's not like the, the boot and then they, they turn around and walk out, but to your point, they get very angry and, and fight back, of you know, course. but you know, a of lot course. of people do move because it's just, well, like, you're, you're also, it's also very, it, it, you get very angry because you're fighting with your own kind. You're all Florentines. You're all Ab- part of unions. You're absolutely. all part of these guilds and you're paying taxes and you want your city to, to be better than the other surrounding cities. Because Florence really, I mean, any, even today, any city truly hates or dislikes or has it out with the other surrounding cities. So Florence had it out with, again, Luca, Pisa, Siena, uh, Bologna. But Florence didn't care about Seville. It's too far. <laughs> it's in Spain. You follow me? So yeah. you always hate the local football team from the other, from your rival high school because they're local to you exactly. as well. You don't hate the high school that's across the country. Exactly. Because you don't even know the country. You don't yeah. even know the, the, the you know that team around there. Yeah, Seville, so, <laughs> that, that that it's coming all together uh but in 15 in 1250 smack in the middle of the 1200s something major happens the guilds start getting some executive power alongside with the aristocrats mm. and the aristocrats are losing their crap right now because you have these dirty people that work that he's killed yeah crying out loud. The, the workers and, are rising up yeah yeah, and they're getting executive power alongside with them. So now the aristocrats are getting a little antsy. They're going, what the hell's going on here? To the yeah. to the point where, uh, I don't know if you know this, if you've been to Tuscany, uh, but the, the more money you had, the, the higher your house was. So it was like New York City during the skyscraper race. Sure, or, sure. Or Chicago during the skyscraper race. Yeah. Um, is that symbolic the more money I have, to get 
up and and to see a, a greater sort of a, a, a vista, you know, to, right. to, to feel taller, to have more power, you know, that's, a, well, yeah. You, you put yourself on a pedestal, right? When you're important, right? So uh, yes. the, the more money I have, the higher your house has to be. So Florence was truly like a modern New York City with all these skyscrapers coming up everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then in, 12, in 1250, when the guilds and, and these the, the, the merchant class was starting to get some executive power, they passed a law that every single house had to be lower than the highest political power, than the highest political building. So now oh. you have the Bargello. The Bargello is a block away from the main square in Florence. And the Bargello was where the, polit the politicians worked. And the Bargello had a bell tower. And every house had to be lower than that bell than tower. That bell so tower. now imagine, imagine people in New York City having to chop their skyscraper. Oh, well, yeah, let me uh, in here in Philadelphia. I didn't know this, but, um, you know, for a very, very long time, none of the buildings in Philadelphia were allowed to be taller than City Hall, uh, right. which is the largest. I think it's the largest masonry building, I think, in this on the Western Hemisphere, um, maybe in the world. But and it's got a very, very, very tall clock tower, but it is not skyscraper tall, you know, so right. I could imagine. Right. Yeah. Right. Could yeah, you yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. People like these rich people saying. We let these guilds come in. We've had them, you know, be part of our society. And now they're passing laws and they're making us look like fools because now we literally have to chop our house. Because if we don't chop our house, we're going to have to go to war with them. And I don't want to go to war. So to make a long story short, yes. in 1250, hundreds of houses were chopped by their owners because that was the new law that was passed, which leads me into the subsequent thing that's going on. The biggest thing that happened in the 1200s, I think in Europe... 1252, Florence coins the first gold coin for Europe called the Ooh. gold florin. And if you're ballsy enough, if you're rich enough, if you're big enough, and if you're wealthy enough to be able to coin a gold monetary unit for your yes. town, yes. and now everybody across Europe is going to accept it, including Northern Africa, all of Northern Africa was accepting, the Middle East was accepting the florin. Yes. All of you, that's huge, you which means, yes, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say uh, uh, real quick. One, you can't say no to a gold coin because it's a gold coin. I heard, I heard something, it, it, you know, that's like, if, if you see that and you already know what gold is, which I'm sure most of like the trading world did at that point, um, you right. know, but going back, you know, time in the world. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. If you see a gold coin, it just like, you can't argue with the fact that this is currency, even if like your understanding of like fiat currency, it isn't. Is but hold on. It's got like, uh, anybody could grab a, a piece of gold and make a coin out of it yes. or make two coins or three coins. But yes. when you start making a little, a currency out of it where everybody is using it and you have all these aristocratic families in Florence and, and Florence is being flooded in by merchants and, and pilgrims going to Rome with the, with the Via Francigena not far from us. There's a lot of richness in Florence, truly yes. richness, which leads into greed, yes, and and loan sharks, which yeah. is awesome. I mean, awesome, quote unquote, awesome, right? But it makes everything a lot more interesting. Is it because yes, yes, no? Because when you when you, we're talking about Dante coming up shortly with with Inferno, well, if you have a city coining a gold Florence, and we have the richest city in Europe you know, ruling everything. And, and that florin was truly like the U S dollar in the 1980s. You, you mm. could, you, I don't know how old you are, Corey, but in the 1980s, the, the, the U S dollar was accepted 
everywhere across the globe. Now, not so much because there's other currencies, including the euro, that are stronger that than are the euro. Stronger. Than the yeah, yeah. Right. We, we expect so, that to change very soon, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. It's, yeah. we, people have been saying that since 2000 when the euro yeah. came out. But anyway, yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the gold florin is into play. People are getting rich. People are getting richer, which leads people to be loan sharks because now people need money on bigger houses. There's a lot of greed going around. But that greed shows up in the seventh, in the, I'm sorry, in the, in the fourth circle of hell in Dante, Dante's Divine Comedy. Because and usually to, being mm-hmm. a loan shark shows up three circles later in the seventh circle of hell. So, <laughs> and, and Dante's born 12 years after the Florin was, was coined. So Dante, when Dante was zero, when he was just born, the sure. gold florin had been around for 13 years. Sure. Uh, you know, it was a new coin. It was still building up. Florence is doing well. Uh, you have this, this Guelph family that's very religious. Dante eventually gets married, has three kids. He falls in love with a girl called Beatrice at nine years old, which he never, never even, I mean, he was lucky if he spoke to her maybe two or three times. Yeah. So it was like a platonic love that he had uh, with, with this girl. Uh, he had, he never mentions his wife in all of his writings, but he mentions Beatrice everywhere. Huh. So yeah, I have a little mental patient going on as well with this guy called Dante. I mean, he, he's got his own things going on. We're, we're going to, we're going to get into this a little more next week, but uh, it will become apparent that there is uh, a bit going on inside of his head. Absolutely. But uh, he, he's uh, awesome. Because the the the, fir- the first thing I want to talk about in the next podcast is why in the world did Dante write it? Right? Yes. Why did he write the Divine Comedy? And 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 how did he get all those ideas that we still talk about seven hundred years later? But we'll get into that next week. What sure. I like to talk about is Dante and how he actually learned to write because he wrote quite a bit. Um, he he studied philosophy, and we know he studied. Don't forget, no schools anywhere. There's no printing press. Most people are illiterate. Uh, Dante is born from a very religious family Mm -hmm. and he decides, and we don't know how, because we have no records of this, but he ends up studying Greek and Latin and philosophy in the church that I mentioned before in Santa Maria Novella, the Dominican Mm -hmm. church Yes, that was built in 1220. So Dante is what, uh, 20 years old, maybe 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 19, 20 years old. And he's studying at a brand new church called Santa Maria Novella. And he's studying this philosophy and the philosophy always goes back to St. Augustine, Uh, not Florida, but the legit St. Augustine. (laughs) Um, St. Augustine lived in the year 350 and he's from Algeria. Algeria is on the North coast of Africa next to to Morocco. Mm -hmm. So you have a guy from the year 350 who wrote a lot, a lot of uh, philosophical stuff. And one of his main theories was that you have to visit hell when you're alive in order to understand it and then not go there when you die. Yes. So that's kind of neat, like to to understand the consequence. So go to hell, live hell while you're here on earth so that when you do die, you don't live it physically uh, for the rest of eternity or or psychologically for the rest of eternity. So Dante's learning how to read Greek, how to write Greek, how to read Latin, how to write Latin. He's learning about philosophy, but he's also talking in what we would call Italian. Um, They didn't call it Italian back then when Dante was alive. Uh, They called it vulgare. Ah. And vulgare literally sounds like the word what? What does vulgare sound like? Vulgar. Vulgar, because that's what the plebs spoke. Ah, Um, The plebs. Right? The the, plebeians. Yes, the poor people, the dirty people, the yes. aristocrats spoke Latin, 
And the plebs, the locals, the the merchants, the farmers, well, they spoke that vulgar language. Yes. Well, they, okay, so it's he the common tongue, I guess, or the not well, the, the commoner's tongue, I guess. But but I, I mean, the aristocrats must have spoken the common tongue as well. But when they meet among themselves, then they speak a better language. Exactly. You know, yes. it's like it's like going to a baseball game and 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 speaking a lot of lingo with your with with the guys that you're at the, at the stadium with, and then going to the courthouse because you're a lawyer and you're not speaking like you did last night at the at the ball game. So. Yeah. We have different ways of, of, of speaking to depending on where we are and who we're with. So Dante at this point, <clears throat> he's about 25 years old and he knows he wants to get into politics, but you can't become a politician unless you're part of a guild. And he's like, but I'm not part of a guild. So where the hell, what, what guild do I become part of? Well, he, he thought it through and he said, well, the only guild that sells books, quote unquote books, because there's no books back then, there's manuscripts, as we said before. But the only the only guild that was legally authorized to sell manuscripts was the pharmacy and physicians guild. So or the apothecary guild. So it's important for the doctors to know. Yes, because doctors wrote quite a bit back then, right? Because they're taking notes on on what to do and how to help people. Now we can't call them doctors. That was I knew I knew you or I were going to say the word doctor. Yeah, we can't use the word doctor in the 1200s for a reason. There was no such thing. Yes, Uh, there were there were physicians. Yes, Uh, huge difference. So you had the the pharmacy and the physicians, and they had their own guild called the apothecary guild. And Dante becomes part of it, not because he's a doctor, not because he's a physician, not because he's a pharmacist. Because he reads and writes a lot, and he wants to have access with the of the you know to those books and those manuscripts. So he said, sure. "What the heck? I'll join that guild. Yeah. As long as I'm part of a guild, it doesn't matter which guild I'm in. Then I could become a politician." Okay, which was key because in order to become a politician, uh, you had to be part of a guild. So he became you know, he joined the apothecary guild because he sold books, and he thought there was a good link between his lifestyle. And, uh, and joining a guild. Um, the cool thing about what's going on now in the, in the late 1200s is that you have a very important, influential person called Dante uh, rolling around Florence. And he, he know, he's known to the politicians. People know that he wants to become a political officer. Um, the political offices there only lasted two months, so 60 days. Wow. Um, and so in those 60 days, you had to get a lot of things done as quickly as you possibly could. Um, while that's happening in the late 1200s, the Duomo starts getting built. Now, when I say that, it may not sound like much, just the way I said it, but the Duomo <laughs> was built as the largest church on planet Earth. Yes. When the Florentines take it upon themselves to say, let's build a church. And while, while we're at it, let's build the biggest one in the world so that <laughs> we can blow everybody's head off, you know, and, and, and the Pope could get pissed off at us because he'll have a small rinky dicky church built by Constantine <laughs> in the year 300. Yeah, so yeah. While all this stuff is going on, that, that's the religious side of, of it. Because don't forget, we have the gold florin going on. We have a lot of rich people that could contribute to the, to the, to the, to the construction right. of the biggest church in the world. But the, poli- the political side has to kick in as well. You just can't have the biggest church in the world with a small rinky-dinky political building. So exactly. they decided to build the Palazzo Vecchio that's still in Florence and still to this day is still the mayor's office, still City Hall. Yeah. It was finished in 1299. The Duomo starts in 1296. So we're rounding off the 13, you know, 1300, but there's a lot of the, – the Mason Guild must have been like 
how do we handle all this work? We got to build a political building and a religious building and we right. need stone workers and we need this ever we need so much you know come come together at the same time to build the now the, the medicis are in town and the medicis are becoming bankers and there's so much money going around right right it's an awesome time uh and to think about in the year 1300 so june 15th the year 1300 dante becomes prior of florence he's the mm. highest rank in Florence, and he's got those 60 days to do whatever the heck he wants. Um, <laughs> with all that info in his head, with the, with the philosophy that I mentioned before, and the studying in the churches and stuff like that. The physicians' texts and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got so much under his belt right now, and he has to figure out what to do in this, in this short period of time with all the information in his head. But he also, it's also the year 1300 that I mentioned before. And Pope Boniface VIII all of a sudden comes up with this brilliant idea, brand new idea. He comes up with this word called Jubilee. And the first Jubilee was in the year 1300 while Dante was prior. So Dante in the year 1300 has to take it upon himself to go. Don't forget. He's a Guelph. He's extremely religious. He wants to get down to the Vatican and don't forget, this is the old St. Peter's Basilica that was built by Constantine in the year in the three hundreds. Uh, it's not the new St. Peter's that we all go see with the Sistine Chapel and stuff like that. Kind of needs but, a, a, an update a little bit or yeah, I mean, it, might it, feel. I mean, yeah. Especially with, I, the, I mean, with the new, uh, uh, with the new, with the new uh, Florentine, uh, uh, what was it called again? The Duomo. The Duomo. Yes, I would have. I would have uh, 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 um, misspoken otherwise as well. <laughs> no, but <laughs> so, think, think about the whole dynamics, right? So you got yes. Dante in Florence. He's he's in a town that's building the biggest church in on planet Earth, but yes. he does want to go pay respects to the Pope who started the Jubilee. Yes, but he has a little issue with this uh, because the Jubilee was meant to quicken your way to heaven when you die. Uh, so it, it was a, it's like if you if you become a pilgrim and you do a pilgrimage to the you know, to St. Peter's Basilica and to Rome in the year 1300, the I will forgive your sins as Pope Boniface VIII, and I will make sure that you go to heaven quicker and stay less time in purgatory. If so, you, if you put a couple coins in the if you collection go, no, plate, but, yeah. But, okay, so hear me out. That was so you jumped the gun, but <laughs> let's let's get rid of that collection plate. If you simply as Pope, because he this Pope is quite obnoxious, he declared re religious and secular supremacy above <laughs> all and everybody. So he's actually stepping on the Holy, Holy Roman Emperor's toes right now. Mm. He's saying, I am you, I'm more important than you, and without me, you're a loser and you're a nobody. So Pope Boniface VIII was, was quite self-centered, quite narcissistic. Uh, and, and declares his supremacy over everybody, then says, well, I'm going to quicken your chances to get to heaven if you come on this jubilee pilgrimage to, to, to Rome. So forget about the collection plate. If millions of people are going to get up and get on their donkeys or simply walk to Rome from France, Germany, England, Spain, Portugal, I don't care where you're coming from, and all the roads still lead to Rome thanks to the Romans, Everybody's going to Rome. Well, you need to sleep when you get there. You got to eat when you get there. Yeah. Maybe you'll buy a little souvenir and a little magnet to put in your refrigerator when you go back home. Oh, so you I need was to. At, you know, I was in the Jubilee in the year 1300. So 
Money is going to go around regardless. And that's where Dante had a huge issue with Pope Boniface VIII saying he's not doing it to save your soul. He's doing it because he wants all that cash because I'm not going to say half of Rome was owned by the Vatican, but the whole outside area of where St. Peter's Basilica is today is still all owned by the Vatican. So there were plenty of places where you could rent a bed and breakfast in Rome or a restaurant and have a nice, you know, a nice meal in Rome while you're there for the Jubilee. I know that money's going straight to the, to the church and to the Vatican and to Pope Boniface VIII's pocket. So, and, and, that's what Dante declares as simony or simony. Uh, you're selling something religious that's non-tangible. So you're selling heaven. You're selling forgiveness. So Simon actually has a huge issue with Pope Boniface VIII, which we end up meeting and we'll talk about next week when we talk about Inferno and hell. Um, it, it's kind of neat how it all intertwines uh, in the year 1300 because everything's leading up to... To, 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 to corruption and evil doings on behalf of the church as well, which leads me to two more things, Corey, if I have more time. Oh, please, please. Dante is infatuated with Aristotle and his ethics. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if the listeners know about Aristotle's ethics, but it's huge. Uh, if you just Google Aristotle ethics, there, there's books and books and books and books. And Aristotle, Aristotle. is he he again? ethics is aristotle's kind of concept am i right like uh uh isn't that i mean he wrote the book on ethics awesome he yes. did write a book on it but so did yes. his teacher socrates and so did his teacher plato oh yes but aristotle has a list, um, just to make it really simple he he gives it a different twist than his his previous uh two greek writers mm-hmm. his study is out of one word eudaimonia it's a, it's a greek word and eudaimonia unfortunately for us english-speaking people is incorrectly translated because sometimes it's difficult to translate from foreign languages to english yes yes and yes 99 percent of the books in the world written in english translate eudaimonia which is aristotle's whole concept of life yes. as the word happiness and it's really not happiness he, he doesn't focus or mean happy or, or how can somebody be happy exactly. eudaimonia yeah. is, is really focusing on how to have a good soul and if you have a good soul then that will lead you to be happy so yes. it's really about having a good soul so how does how do people get to have eudaimonia that's the key question that dante was hammered with while he was studying in santa maria novella not far from his house in Florence. Just as, just as uh, uh, Siddhartha, uh, you know, <laughs> Siddhartha would meditate on, on the feeling of enlightenment or, or the, you know, experience of enlightenment. Absolutely. Yes. You got it. Yes. So when you get into eudaimonia and Aristotle's theories about eudaimonia was quite simple. You need constant, habitual, virtuous deeds and actions. I'm going to say that one more time because it, it may sound easy, but it's actually not. Yes. So to get to eudaimonia, to have a good soul, all you need, and I'm just, and that's, that's quote unquote, all, all you, need. you, all you yes, really yes. need to do yes. <laughs> is to have constant and habitual virtuals, virtuous deeds and actions. So you just got to be a good guy. You have to yes. be a good person. And if you're a good person and you constantly have those good deeds and actions, that will have, that will make you have a good soul, which in turn will make you happy. Will make you happy. Yes. Now, 
all those things that make that that should be habitual are the virtues. So there goes courage, wisdom, justice, all the, all the, the good things that we should do. The, the life skills that we see in school, but, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you know, it, it's not easy to. to I mean, uh, not. It's not easy to be virtuous uh, in today's no. world. Well, because or as you say, in anybody's world. Yes, because because similar to uh, you know people people's um, uh, uh, need to be tied to the the divine when when you know when a new uh, coin rolls into town or something, then right, the right. virtues so can get okay. a little you know they can it they can, can be crazy. knocked loose. Yeah, absolutely, but. Yeah. Uh, Aristotle's pretty simple about it. And and Don, and I say Aristotle, but when I say Aristotle, then you're going to think Dante because Dante thinks exactly like Aristotle. So he loves sure. his eudaimonia, good soul, uh, you know, habitual, virtuous deeds, actions, um, philosophy here. Yeah. And the money and the corruption are a temptation. It's, it, you know, it's well, outlined well, in the, the Bible. Vices, no, yeah. you hit it on the head. Yeah. Those are the vices. So it, it, if you're if you're virtuous and I don't know, let's, let's use justice as one of the virtues. Okay. So everybody should have, should be just in their decisions. Well, that's the virtue. If you have a deficiency in justice, you're discriminating. And, and big end, if you have an excess in justice, you're favoring somebody. You follow uh, me? Yeah, because so, it's a it's a balance. You need to there you the go yes. there and there goes the 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 there goes the Greek you know counterbalancing everything right. Everything's got to be yes. balanced properly. So in the middle you have justice. Deficient deficiency is depriving somebody from something and discriminating somebody you know somebody and the excess is favoring somebody. So, but it's not always the same because we have thousands of decisions to make on a daily basis in our brains. Yes. And you have to make a conscious decision of which is a good decision and which is a bad decision upon the, on the moment. The on moment that it arrives. Right. Cause it could change. You know, I had a different day than you did, Corey, right? You're in Philly. Yes. I'm in Massachusetts. So we had different conversations with different people and different things happened to us. And maybe we had to both be just at a certain point, but you have to make the right decision at the right time with the right people at the right moment. Yes. So, and and the keyword there being, you know, uh, or rather, kind of hearkening back to what you said a minute ago, a conscious decision. You know, it's not exactly a, not. And, and, but so you have to be conscious of it, and you have to be aware that you could be screwing it up. Yeah, maybe you're you know, you're, you're cutting somebody short, or you're favoring somebody. Yeah, and those are the vices, which is what Dante focuses on his entire inferno. So there goes lust and greed and anger and violence and fraud. All those are deficiencies or excess to virtues. From uh, uh, Aristotle. Aristotle. It all goes back to yes. Aristotle. But yes. what Dante is doing is saying, okay, I'm, I'm Catholic. I go to church. I'm a Guelph. I like I like the figure of Pope. I hate the current Pope because he's selling, you know, tickets to heaven in reality. Uh, I don't like the Jubilee. I don't like a lot of things that are going on. I don't like that there's a lot of French Popes getting involved in our Italian side of things, sure. which I'm going to end the podcast in a few minutes with. But Dante's saying what Aristotle wrote about, what, over 1,500 years before Dante was even born as yes. a non-Christian Dante says Aristotle had it right. I mean, regardless of what your religion is, this is all, eudaimonia is what everybody should achieve and go for and aim for because 
who wants to focus on lust and greed and anger and violence for crying you, out loud? You don't have to uh, uh, focus on a constant fear of God if you're living, you know, if, if, if you're uh, uh, electively living the way that, you know, a human intended it, you know it, you know. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. but you can't go into God. So you said God meant it to be. You, uh, you, yes. you can't go into God because it has nothing to do with God. It's got to yes. be about being happy, yes. having a good soul, regardless of what's going to happen to us afterwards. Yes. Why not be a good person and be complete inside your heart? See, the conversation had nothing to do with nothing God. Nothing to do with God. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's interesting. Because even in, in the context of uh, Dante's, uh, uh, you know, sort of religious nature, it's a... Uh, well, then he fits it into Catholicism. Absolutely. Yeah. But he's focusing on something that was written by a guy who didn't believe in God. He had yes. Aristotle had gods. He had all those gods sure, in ancient. Sure. Right? So yes. <clears throat> to, to conclude tonight's podcast, it's, it's kind of neat to see Dante focusing on, on people that were born thousands of years before him, Absolutely. hating the current Pope, even though he's a Guelph and he's a, he's a true Catholic and he, he loves the church and he loves Dante. the idea of the church. Yeah. And Dante believes again, that the Holy Roman emperor and the Pope, you know, church and state should coexist together, but it's extremely difficult when you got a Pope who's, who's declaring supremacy over everything in the world. And he's experiencing, I'm sure insane amounts of cognitive dissonance. I mean, you know, we, absolutely the, the, the the lack of distractions probably meant, you know, people's convictions back then, or at least, you know, those who or somebody like Dante, you know, it, you know, his conviction is just completely unflappable. And so like the fact that you're seeing this thing that, you know, represents a Dante, he kind of uh, ir- uh, irrespective of the the uh, the ethics thing and everything. I mean, he was a raised Catholic his entire life. He, you know, you do believe that there is like this uh, or, you know, at least up till a certain point, you believe that there is a light that shines like right into the Pope that is God talking. And then right. suddenly this 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 happens, which just flips your entire, you know, universe, you know, reaching all the way out to the heavens uh, completely on its head. And, and you have to it probably felt like hell. It did for most. Yes. And Dante at this point, with the Jubilee going on, hating every minute of it. Yes. With this bad pope, according to him, this bad pope was collecting was cashing in on all these pilgrims. Uh, as a politician in Florence, trying to do the right thing. Uh, and then you have these aristocrats who really don't care about anything but cash. And then he thinks that all these gold Florence that was swinging around, Florence was was doing a bad, it was a bad thing in reality because where there's money, there's greed. And with greed, there's no good life. Um, the, it all comes to a conclusion the year after. In 1301, when obviously he served his 60 days as prior, so that's all done with. The Jubilee is over with because it only lasts in, you know, that one year in the year 1300. Um, when the Pope, is still Pope Boniface VIII, uh, exiles all the Guelphs from Florence. The Pope, who is head of the Guelphs, is exiling the Guelphs, his own people, out of Florence because of some... So I can't get into it because it's going to take me another three hours to talk about it. But sure, sure. Pope is getting angry with the Guelphs in Florence. So he exiles them. So what we have now is a subdivision of the Guelphs. You got the white Guelphs and the black Guelphs. So the Pope is a black Guelph. And Dante says, well, I hate him. So I ain't going to be a black Guelph. I'm going to be a white Guelph. And sure. all the white Guelphs were exiled out of Florence. So Dante loses his house. 
he he physically loses the opportunity to sell cash in on the house that he owned in Florence, oh. and he can buy a house somewhere else. So he literally gets kicked, kicked in, the, in the rear and sure. out of Florence, gone. So Dante obviously has a like a personal vendetta out for Boniface the Eighth now because he literally lost cash. Yes. He lost his own home. He lost his his residency for crying out loud. Get yes. the hell out of Florence. So that was the end of it. I mean, to, to be simple, Boniface VIII was on Dante's shit list. That's for sure. Yes, I mean, that's the least yes. I could say about that. Yes, uh, yes. Which, it, now, Dante's mm-hmm. out of Florence. He's pissed off at the church. He's pissed off at the Pope. He's got all this information with his head with Eudaimonia and Aristotle and the ethics and the money coming in. The biggest church in the world called the Duomo being built. The Medicis are in Florence and they're they're feeding this 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 evil, greedy uh, uh, cycle of, of, of loan sharking and usury. And then it all goes even worse when in 1309, the papacy is brought out of Florence and is brought to France. A Mm. French pope was elected in 1309 and the French pope simply said, well, I'm pope and I'm French and what the heck am I doing in Italy? Let's move the papacy to my town. So he literally got up and moved to Avignon, France. And the papacy stayed in Avignon, France for about 70 years and guess what all the popes that were elected in France happened to be? They were all French. French. Yeah. Okay. I was like. <laughs> so you, you see how yes. it, it's not about church anymore. It's not about good ethics anymore. It's about greed. It's about me, myself, and I. Let's bring the papacy to France and elect French popes and keep the money in France now, not in Italy. Yes. It, it, yes. Was, a, it was a great time. For chaos, yeah, it was it was chaotic. It was crazy, <laughs> but that schism, because that's what a schism is, is a division, right? Yes. So that 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 schism in the church, leaving the papacy in Rome and bringing it to France, yes, is the biggest sin that Dante believes could exist on planet Earth on behalf of a human being. So. The, the people who cause schisms and divisions because God wanted it one way, but you screwed it up and you divided it. Yes. Dante puts people who create divisions and schisms in the deepest, darkest circle of hell in the ninth, I'm sorry, in the eighth circle in the ninth ditch, all the way, like close to Lucifer. Just the, yeah. Yeah. As close to him as you could get essentially. There's nothing worse than dividing what God intended to be together. So it's kind of neat how you have all this chaos that leads up from 1192 when the guilds were built as we began the evening, all the way through the biggest church in the world and the guilds with the executive power and so on and so forth, all the way down to a a huge decline with, with, with this idea that the church should be one, should be together, should be helping each other uh it it all blew up in dante's lifetime and he truly hated every minute of it because as a good catholic boy he wanted everything to go well and it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it wasn't just it wasn't just him that you know that was a feeling this way either no but he was the only one that had well not the only one he was the the ballsiest one the the gutsiest one yes yes one day decided on his exile with no money, having lost the money from his house that he had, you know, he would have sold before he got exiled from the Pope exiling him. Um, he says, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my vengeance. 
And it's not going to be a physical vengeance. It's going to be a psychological vengeance because I'm, I'm going to write a poem. It's going to be a pretty long freaking poem. Yes. But I'm going to yes. write a poem and I'm going to call it Inferno and I'm going to follow it up with Purgatory and I'm going to end it with Paradise. So on that note, uh, I, I would say that we should continue this conversation in our next podcast, Corey. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Paul Costa, thank you so much for, for kind of setting the scene for you know, the Inferno, Dante, uh, uh, Alighieri's Inferno. Uh, and yeah, and yes, it's, it's kind of, you know, we, I learned a lot today. Um, and it's, it's, you know, fascinating to kind of bookend what I was saying earlier to learn about that world uh, of which there were few dots to connect. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, so what we have now is we, we've, we've gone through, and establish that all of the cantos of hell uh, in the forthcoming episode about Inferno are uh, 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 in regards to the uh, the eudaimonia, um, um, the, these virtues outline um, and how violating them uh, you got it. is, is you hit yeah, it right in the head. Yes, awesome. is, is interpreted in the mind of, of the, 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 the so. coolest part of all this podcast and, and my life. Is that mm-hmm. people will listen to this podcast one day and they will reach out to me and maybe go to my website at tuscantorguy.com yes. and, and say, Paul, I heard your podcast. I'm coming to Florence with my wife and my kids. Bring me around. I want to see Dante's house. I want to see where Dante studied. I, I want to see the Duomo. Uh, walk me around and show me what you spoke about during those podcasts that I enjoyed. And that, 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 that's, I'm not here to become a millionaire, obviously, but I love sharing all this information with everybody. There's a there's an additional canto in hell for the people that go to Italy and they don't contact Paul about this tours. Uh, we'll so, add it. We'll make sure we add it to Dante's Inferno. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, an appendix. Um, so well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the pod, and 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 we uh, very much look forward to uh, these next few episodes that that we'll be doing on Dante's Inferno and how we are going to bring that back into the realm of workers' compensation and maybe have a whole new perspective on things. So once again, thank you again, Paul, for coming on the pod. Thank you, Corey. Thanks for having me. Have a great night. You too. Thanks for listening. For more about Dante Alighieri, the Inferno, the Gates of Hell, and what all this means to workers' compensation, visit our blog at blog.rate-vast.com. And for more about RateFast, the service that writes your workers' compensation impairment reports for you, visit our website at rate-vast.com dot com.